can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. In Almighty fortress, you go Well, good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. We can say that now. It's December. How are we doing today? Praise God for this morning. Well, we've got a full service today. If you haven't noticed, it's communion. So you can head out, grab your cups. Make sure you do that now before we get going. But I want to open our service here today with a passage from Hebrews. And I just love the way the writer emphasizes the person of Jesus. He says this in chapter 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now here's the part. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help in our time of need. As you come this morning, come with confidence to the throne of grace because our King Jesus sits on the throne and he wants us to come. And so let me pray as we begin our service. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this Christmas season and as we head into it, we know that this world fills us with false expectations. But Jesus, you do not. And so help us to see who you are here today. Help us to put our true hope in you because you are the one that does not fail. You are the one that does not let us down. And so we come boldly with confidence to your throne this morning, Jesus. We pray this in your great name. Amen. Well, to my left, I have the Oslin family, and they're going to be reading our first day of Advent. All right. Good morning, church. Today, we light the candle of hope to remind us that Jesus, the Messiah, is our living hope. In Isaiah 9, we read the People walking in darkness has seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Isaiah, oh shit, oh I'm on. <laughs> now we're good, we're I'm sorry. good. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 says, For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We invite you all to stand up with us. And if you need to wake up, feel stretch, you know, get the blood flowing.
can have a seat. All right. That was beautiful. Yeah, we are inviting Jesus in and welcoming, welcoming him to dwell. So my name is Andrew, and uh, I work here at the church uh, doing administration. I'm going to share a few announcements with you. Um, but first, we want to uh, invite our children to head on down to Rooted Kids. When I came in here this morning with my daughters, they walked in through that side door and they were like, oh, and I was like, what? And they just noticed that all this was set up right away. They're just in, they were in awe. And I just was like, oh, it's good. We have these little ones to, uh, to notice the things around us that we should notice, the beauty and the, the things that deserve awe. So let's bless our kids as they go. If you're not sure where to go, uh, we're, gonna, they're, we're gonna head out through the foyer and to the left, and there's a whole train of people heading down with their kids to check them in. So God, bless these little ones. Bless these noticers, um, that they would see your face, that they would see you and uh, direct us to you. You said, let the little ones come to me. Don't stop them. So we're, we're blessing them as they run to you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. If you are new or newer here, uh, we want to uh, get to know you, and uh, we're happy you're here with us. So uh, one way is to just chat with one of us. Uh, many of us have lanyards. I'm not wearing my lanyard right now, shamefully. But uh, many of us will have a lanyard, or um, you can fill out a blue card in the, in the pew back in front of you, and uh, we will get in touch with you. And it's, a, it's just a nice way to know what we have going on at the church. We can let you know about it. You can fill out all the little boxes that you're interested in. Um, we do have a few breaks in December, so what we do with our ministries, uh, we have different groups for families and youth and uh, for seniors, and so we are taking breaks in December with, our, with all the groups. 
So please do get in touch with your ministry leader if you're not sure when your group is going to be on break for December. And that gives us space to uh, prepare our hearts and do all the many things that we do uh, prior to feasting on Christmas and all the rest that we're going to have, we hope, right? Um, we have printed... Oh, we want to celebrate our Christmas hampers. So last week, we put out a bunch of shopping lists for you all. And we did this last year, and I think about like half of the shopping lists were taken. And basically, almost 50 shopping lists were taken last week. So it was really amazing. Thank you. Um, and many of them are already coming back with their um, hampers that they've made. People are already making their hampers. So the last week to hand those in is December 17th. So that's two Sundays from today. Um, we have printed many Christmas Eve invitations, and they're scattered throughout the foyer. You might have seen them. But we're also going to be handing them out at the end of the service. So people will be at the doors handing out Christmas Eve invitations. So please do um, bring those to your work and put them on the staff table or hand them to your neighbors or whatever, however you feel led. But we want to invite people to come here and experience the love of Jesus. Um, and we have a caroling service on December 17th and a Christmas Eve service as well, a special one, as well as our regular Sunday morning service on Christmas Eve. Uh, we are grieving the death of Elijah Woodenberg. I'm sure many of you know about this. And uh, the funeral is set for December 9th. That's next Saturday at 1 p.m. And it's at Piercy's Funeral Home. So, yeah, we're just we're praying and uh, we're grieving alongside the family this week as we uh, look toward that funeral. Uh, we have a video for you all. Um, there is a, a ministry of our church called the Greca Children's Home. And so we've done a video with Jan and Jeannie Applin, and they are going to share about the journey of this um, children's home and uh, just uh, ask if you would pray about participating with them. So I'm going to leave it up to them to explain it. Uh, here they are. I am Jeannie Applin. And I'm Jan Ness, and we are board members of Angarika Children's Home. And since we have so many new people in our congregation, I wanted to give a very quick history of the home. Garika was established largely through the work of a former member of CRBC, teacher at CRCS, and ministry of 25 years in Kenya, Mark Bueller, along with his wife, Catherine. Mark partnered with a Kenyan pastor named David Jenga, who became a father or dad to the children that were taken in. The home opened its doors in 2004, and in the next few years, they took in 11 boys who were orphaned by the AIDS crisis, which was sweeping through Kenya. Along with their own three children, the total number of children under David and his wife Panina's care was 14. Our mission or <clears throat> mandate has always been to love and care for these orphaned kids, physically, emotionally, and spiritually and to enable them to eventually become godly men with their own families, churches, and communities. To make a long story very short, we have relied on the provision of the Lord every step of the way for all the children's needs, and you at CRBC have faithfully walked with us during this time. 
Incredible as it seems to us, we now have three post-secondary graduates, two from university, Abraham and Ayu, and the third, Mellon, with an automotive engineering certificate. By May of next year, Amy and Peter, and probably Stephen, will be graduating from their post-secondary courses, and by the end of next year, Anthony, Benjamin, Michael, and Gregory will also be graduating. The only one left studying of the boys we took in will be Francis, who's in Bible school right now. So, where to now? At some point with a ministry like ours, one has to hand over responsibility for the welfare of those you seek to serve to the people themselves. We realized this about three years ago and so developed and have been working on an exit plan since then. We have now reached the final stretch of this plan and we will wrap up the ministry at the end of 2024. At that time, we should have sufficient funds to be able to pay for Francis' ongoing Bible school needs, and then the remainder will be given to David and Panina as a retirement gift. We would also like to be able to give all the kids a small graduation gift of money as a parting token. If any of you feel led to help out with this fund in any way, please let us know. Come to the back where we'll be seated and find one of us and ask the questions. And finally, another way that you could help us is by donating any bottles or cans to the Aplin's ongoing bottle drive. Harold collects and recycles these and all the proceeds go to help Ingerica. In the past two years, he has raised about $5,000 in this way to help the home. You can drop off any pop bottles or cans at 550 Steenbrook Drive here in town and know that you are helping Ingerica. Thank you once again from the bottom of our hearts for your commitment through these past almost 20 years in bringing these young people to where they are now. I will close by sharing some of the words that one of our grads, Ayub, wrote recently in a note to us, and that gives me assurance that we have successfully accomplished at least some of the things we set out to do almost 20 years ago. Ayub writes, I am thrilled to inform you that I have successfully graduated from KCA University with a degree in software engineering. I am super grateful for this opportunity I had to go through university schooling. Following my graduation, I embarked on a new chapter in my career. I started freelancing online as a software engineer on Upwork, where I have been involved in the development of a website and working as a software tester. I want to express my heartfelt gratitude for your continuous support. Your belief in my potential and your willingness to invest in my education have not only transformed my life, but have also instilled in me the desire to give back to my community and to Ingerica home. I look forward to the day when I can stand on my own feet and extend support to others, just as you have done for me, Ayub. Again, thank you, CRBC, for being a part of this amazing global village. You're the best. Thank you, Jan and Jeannie. Jeannie, I see you right here. Is Jan here too? Jan's over there. Just wave your hand if you guys want any more information. Jeannie's here. Jan's over there. Thank you for your commitment to Greca for all these years and serving on their board and uh, seeing this ministry through. And uh, thank you, CRBC, for your generosity towards it. And thank you for your generosity towards us. And uh, just grateful this morning. My name is Dale, and I serve on the board here. And I uh, just want to extend our gratitude on behalf of your leadership team for your continued generosity. Our giving this year has been 
scary good. <laughs> we, uh, we're praising the Lord uh, day in and day out, week in and week out, uh, for His provision through you. And uh, we just want to uh, encourage you to continue. And as we work through our budget, uh, as uh, Pastor Steve and, and team work through our budget uh, for next year, we're not sure what that looks like yet, but we're, it's on the go. And I uh, just want to continue to uh, thank you for your generosity. Um, there's many ways to give here. If you're not familiar, if you're a regular here and you want to get connected, um, check with Jackie at the back in the kiosk, and uh, she can um, point you in the right direction as to how to give. Uh, and again, we just are so grateful for your generosity. We want to um, continue in that um, thought of generosity, and what we want to do in this season is um, we have an incredible staff here. Um, can you give them a hand? Thank you. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> I can tell you that uh, being in full-time ministry, and I'm not in it, but in my observance, there is probably nothing like it. And uh, we know that many of you are grateful for our staff, and we want to extend to you the opportunity uh, to give a, give a gift, a love offering uh, towards our staff. I want to be real clear about a couple things about it. So for the next couple of weeks, uh, you'll have that opportunity to give. You can give here. You can give online. Um, the love offering uh, is a gift, but so it's not eligible through the CRA uh, for tax exemption. It won't be on your receipt at the end of the year. Uh, but if you'd like to give a little something just to bless our staff that we can um, give towards them uh, at the end of, their, uh, end of this year, uh, that would be great. Uh, so it's not a charitable donation. Um, if you give uh, through the envelope uh, like this in the giving boxes, these are in your, the pew in front of you if you want to give that way. Just mark on their staff love offering. Uh, if you're going to give electronically, just make a note um, that... Um, it, what it's for. You can do e-transfers. You can do in person. Uh, you can do it online through our website. There's a little portal there. If you look on our website, uh, Love Offering for Staff, you can do it that way. So if you have any more questions about that, uh, be sure to ask myself, myself, ask me, or ask Jackie at the back, and we can point you in the right direction. I want to uh, read this morning uh, from Romans chapter 8. Uh, if you've got your Bibles handy or your phone there, uh, Romans chapter 8, we're going to read verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As Pastor Steve comes, uh, let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we just bow our hearts before you in wonder and in awe. And uh, we are reminded again as we come into the season that you are our hope. And uh, every good and perfect gift comes from you. And Lord, we just are uh, so grateful for that this morning. And we, um, we want to pray this morning, Lord, for those that are hurting, that are struggling. Uh, this broken world brings many pains, Lord, and again, we are reminded, especially this time of year, uh, that you are our hope, you are our light, and uh, we look to you for your comfort in struggle. Lord, we praise you for 
all the good gifts that come regularly. And uh, we thank you again for this church. We thank you for this family represented here. We thank you that for those that are serving faithfully in so many different ministries. Lord, we pray that we would have an impact in our community as we uh, share your love. And uh, Lord, we pray for Pastor Steve this morning as he shares your word. And uh, we thank you for him, and we thank you for your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, thanks, Dale. What many of you don't know is that it's this man's birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, buddy. He loved that. <laughs> well, good morning. My name is Steve, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And we're starting a new sermon series called Dwell. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this. And to be quite honest with you, I had this all planned out. I knew exactly the passages that I was going to preach. And then God's like, nope, I want you to preach from a different passage. And so I'm excited to see what God is going to do because I believe it's coming from him and not from me. And so my question for us this morning is, what do we do in a time of waiting? Where do we ask for help? So Advent is simply that. It means to wait. It means to anticipate. And, you know, when I'm going on vacation, uh, I'm not just waiting, but I'm actually doing something. I'm preparing. I'm thinking through my plans. I'm starting to get the suitcase open. I'm starting to put things in. What will I need? What will I not need? And as we wait, what are we actually waiting for? Are we just waiting for Christmas morning so we can open some gifts and enjoy turkey? Are we just kind of waiting for that next cup of coffee so we can get through the day? Well, maybe. But the Christmas story, Advent, says we're waiting for something deeper, something better. And what I want to show you this morning is that we not only need to wait, but God is present now. He's working. But I think the question is for all of us, how many of you like waiting? You know, waiting in line, waiting for the baby to come, waiting for conflict to be resolved, waiting for a new prime minister. Oh, did I say that out loud? Speaking of waiting and anticipating, there's been some interesting moments in my own life as I've been waiting. You know, I specifically remember waiting for the baby to come. You know, when Megan's nine months pregnant, there was a lot of groaning. No, it wasn't her. It was me. And we were just like, oh, when is this going to end? <laughs> Please, you know, Steve, get me cheeseburgers, get me ice, massage my feet, take care of me. And it goes on and on and on and on. You're like, yes, honey, yes, honey, yes, honey. But when the day came, I remember it clearly. 
And because of some medical things, she had a C-section booked. I remember packing. I remember anticipating going to the hospital at 5 a.m., sitting in the waiting room. Okay, it's ready. You kind of move into the room. And then the doctor asked me this. Hey, do you want to watch the C-section? No. I wanted to picture this nice, clean, quick, you know, zipper, baby out, zipper up, everything's good. But the moment came, and I remember holding Hallie for the very first time. I waited. I anticipated. And then she was there. And it moved me to tears. But then we had another kid. We kind of went through the same sequence of events, got to the hospital, packed the bag, went into the room. It was another C-section. The doctor passed me the baby, baby Maya, and I was moved to tears. Here she is. But here's what happened. Cute little Maya started to scream. You know, I I remember trying to offer her a latte and a hamburger, (laughs) but it didn't work. So they moved Maya and I to another room while the doctor stitched up Megan. You know, I waited for 20 minutes. I waited for 30 minutes. Maya's screaming. She's angry. (laughs) Her chin's moving up and down. And last time, Megan was there by now. Waited for 45 minutes, for an hour. And Maya was crying uncontrollably. It was starting to break me down. I was starting to ask questions. You know, where's my wife? (laughs) Doctor, (laughs) what's going on? Help. (laughs) Hour and a half. Suddenly, I'm starting to think of the worst. I'm starting to think there was complications. I'm starting to think, you know, did I lose my wife? And Maya is crying and crying and crying, and I didn't know what to do. The only words that I could get out of my mouth was help. So I stopped, and I prayed. I'm like, God, help me. God's like, pick up the cell phone, call for help. So I did. Called for Megan's mom. She arrived about 15 minutes later, took Maya. She couldn't console her, but that freed me up to go ask some questions. You know what I discovered? There was just so many babies being born, they couldn't keep up, and they put Megan in a janitor's closet because there was no more rooms. But here I am going, God, what is happening? I can't console her. I don't know what to do. God, this is beyond me. But just to like in the story, as we wait, as we're going through hard, unexpected things, we may not even understand what is going on. We may not comprehend the reasons, but as we're going through it, we may groan. 
we may not have the words to say. You know, you may be a parent who's overwhelmed. You may be dealing with mental health. You might have conflict in your life. You may have come to the end of yourself, and you're like, God, I don't know what to do, and you're waiting for him to do something. But this is why the Christmas story matters. This is why Advent is preparing us. This is why we actually can find help in a time of waiting. because God dwells with us. It's because God is here now. And because God dwells with us, it's okay if we don't actually have the words. Let me show you something. This is the passage that God led me to. It's not a typical Christmas sermon, but this is what Romans 8 says. Verse 26, it says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For when we do not know what to pray, he helps us. Well, who is the Spirit of God that helps us? Well, the Holy Spirit is God's presence sent to us from heaven. It's what the Christmas story is all about. It is God with us. God Emmanuel. In other words, it affects us today. It matters right now. You may be having a good day or a bad day, but God is dwelling with you. God is here. And Paul is saying that there may be times when we are so weak that the Spirit himself prays on our behalf. In other words, this passage gives us permission to not have all the answers or the right words in times of weakness. Paul is saying that there's going to be times in our life that are so intense, that are so brutal, that you don't know what to do or say. But he's saying the Spirit is here. He's indwelled in you. That he is working on your behalf. That we have help. You know, in the past two weeks, there's been moments of groaning. There's been moments of heartache as we mourn the loss of Elijah. There's been no words at times. It's been too difficult. You know, last Saturday, we had a call from one of our staff members, and a pipe bursts, and the nursery's flooded. And to be honest, when I heard that, I'm like, there's no words, God. <laughs> I don't know what to say. You know, there's going to be times in our life that are so hard and so difficult that we don't have the articulation or the means within ourselves to deal with it. And Paul is saying, that's okay. That the Spirit is going to help you. It's going to pray on your behalf. He used the words, the Spirit groans for us. Groans. It doesn't mean that the Spirit complains. It means the Spirit speaks on our behalf when we don't know what to say. 
It means that the Holy Spirit actually speaks to God the Father as we pray, as we go to Him, as we ask for help. The Spirit takes those inexpressible longings for us to know and do the will of God. He brings them to the Father on our behalf. He says, it's okay. I got this. I love you. I'm in the details. I'm working. I'm dwelling. I'm with you. You don't have to walk through this alone. And Romans 8 says that we don't even need to express ourselves. The Spirit will express it for us. When? When we're too weak. When we lack understanding. When we don't know what to do. The Spirit will groan on our behalf. Well, Scripture actually talks a lot about groaning. It says in verse 19 to 22 that creation waits and groans. In other words, creation is suffering because of sin, because of futility, decay, and death. In other words, creation groans because things aren't working the way that they should. I can give you countless examples. Here, the Camel River, in B.C., in our nation, and in our world. Creation is groaning. Creation is waiting for better days. Creation itself is waiting for Christ to return. We wait and groan. We groan because we see sin in our own lives. You know how many times we're like, okay, God, I'll stop doing that, <laughs> and then you're right back doing it? We groan. God, how long? I'm tired of battling this. It's beating me. It's defeating me. Oh, God, help. We cry out because sin is causing damage in our own life and in the damage of other people's life as we continue to enter into sin, as people continue to sin against us. Oh, God, how long? We groan. I groan when I see hurt, pain, and death. I groaned when I was a college student and one of my teachers had an affair. Broke everything. He was my favorite teacher. I groan when some of my friends' marriages have blown up and they didn't ask for help. I groan when I see good Christian people who waste their life. I groan when I fall short, when I disappoint my kids, when I hurt my wife. I groan. That brings me to the, God, why? Why do I do this? Why do we have to live through this? Can you come? 
can you end this? You know, the skeptic would say, well, there is no point or purpose to this suffering. It's for nothing. It's simply an interruption to my happy life. And if that was true, that means that we don't have the answer. Or we're actually looking to ourselves to just, you know, stay out of the way of sin. Everything's going to kind of work out. But the resources are in here. It's just you making good decisions. Keep everyone else out. Find the resources within yourself to do better. Be smarter. Be wiser. Protect yourself. But Paul tells us that we don't actually have the means and the skills within ourselves to do a better job. He's saying, you don't have all the answers. But there's actually hope because God does. God is present. His spirit is aiding us and helping us and showing us a better way of life. He's speaking in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the brokenness. God is with you. John Newton says this, we don't understand, and that is okay. And when we do not know what to say or pray in our weakness, we need not despair, for we can depend on the Spirit's ministry of perfect intercession on our behalf. Wow. We may not understand, and that's okay. But are we depending on God? Are we going to him for help? So what do we do in times of unbearable circumstances? You know, I got this picture of one of my kids who was hurting and broken. And that moment that I see them, what do they do? They run to me. They fall into my arms, and I hold them, and I love them. And that's exactly what God is saying to us. Run to me. Fall into my arms. And when you don't understand, when you're hurting, when you feel lonely, when you have nothing left, fall into my arms. Let me comfort you. Let the Spirit of God speak to you and assure you of his promises. Let me help you. And when we find that we don't have words, that's okay. Fall into God. Because Paul is telling us God is with us. He's dwelling. And because he's with us in our weakness, it's okay. It's okay if we don't know what to say. Well, secondly, because God dwells with us, we actually have more help than we know. We have more help than we know. Let's keep reading. Verse 26, 
For when we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself searches our hearts and knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What does the word intercede mean? It means to meet with, to converse with on our behalf. In other words, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is going to God the Father, and he's talking to him on our behalf. It means that when you give your life to Christ, the Spirit comes to reside in us. He helps us. He mediates for us. And once this happens, the Holy Spirit aids all believers. It untangles our mess. It helps us. It points us in the right directions. And even when we don't get the thought right or the prayer right, he goes on our behalf. And he brings it to God the Father. But the word intercedes implies that the Holy Spirit doesn't do everything for us necessarily. It doesn't mean that we can just sit back and actually do nothing. Rather, we are to keep praying if we can. We are to keep serving. We are to keep loving. And there's going to be times when we can't continue on and the Spirit's going to help us, mediate for us. And as we're praying, the Spirit's going to say, hey, let me take that for you. Let me carry that burden with you. Let me comfort you. Let me walk with you. Let me encourage you. Let me show you that you're not alone. Think of a scale or a teeter-totter. When life just gets so heavy, the Spirit of God comes. Here, let me, let, me, let me bring it back a bit. Let me support you. Let me give you more strength than you know. And when we struggle, when we suffer, when life seems to be so heavy and weighty, when we can't bear it, the Holy Spirit helps us. And we have way more help than we know. Let me just show you how much help you have. This is what the Holy Spirit does on our behalf. First, he speaks to our hearts. He speaks to us. He regenerates us. He anoints us. He guides us. He sanctifies us. He says he is our helper. He is our teacher. This is what Romans 8 says. He sets you free from sin, from death. The Spirit helps you fulfill the just requirement of the law. Again, he goes on God's behalf. He says, it's covered. It's covered by what Christ did on the cross. The Spirit gives us life, gives us peace. It says the Spirit will raise you from the dead by the Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit is in you, Christian. And the Spirit helps you put to death the deeds of the body. It says the Spirit leads us again. The Spirit bears witness in us that we are the children of God. He gives us that assurance when we doubt. 
The Holy Spirit is the foretaste and the guarantee of our final redemption. We have more help than we know. We have more help than we know. That's what the Christmas story is all about. That God is dwelling. God is with us. You know, I was just thinking about that call on Saturday. A week ago. It started in a Slack thread. One of our staff members is like, hey, the nursery is flooding. Erwin shows up. And we're like, do you need help? Yes. <laughs> what was really incredible is when I got here, I saw staff members, I saw board members, I saw congregants teaming together, vacuuming water, moving furniture, making phone calls. calling plumbers, calling insurance. I saw professionals donating their skills, their time, being able to bring things back to a way that it can be dried out and so we can use it again. But here's the thought. The help was already available, but we needed to ask. The help was already there, but someone needed to say, hey, we need help. Come, join us. And just like in the story, God has already given us access to all the help that we need. But do we ask him? And when we draw close to God, the Holy Spirit helps us with our ongoing mental health issues. It helps us in conflict. It helps us as we're battling sin. It helps us as we face the sting of death. We have more help than we know. He helps us when we fall short, church. He helps us when we fall into sin again and again and again. But do we ask for his help? And scripture tells us God's grace is sufficient for us. His strength will be made perfect in our weakness. In other words, the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of our weakness and he carries that part for us. He brings it to God. He mediates before us. He's saying, hey, my grace is sufficient for my son or daughter in Christ. I'll help you. I'll show you a better way. Paul Tripp says this, God did not create human beings to be independently able. He designed us to be dependent. None of us has the natural storehouse of wisdom, strength, patience, mercy, and perseverance that every person needs in order to do their job well. Independent ability 
like independent righteousness, is a delusion. So quit beating yourself up because you feel inadequate. You feel that way because it's truth. Wow. Wow. Because God dwells with us, you have more help than you know. If you feel inadequate, it's because you are. Lastly, because God dwells with us, we can increase in hope as He is working. As He is working. Verse 27, it says this, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. But notice that it says God is at work, that he is searching our hearts. In other words, God has complete access to what we know, to what we think, to what we're doing. There is no surprise. You know, we may be that type of person who, you know, writes things in our diary. Probably not. Or we try to hide things. Try to keep things from our spouse or our kids or our friends. Or maybe we have the delusion that we're keeping it from God. He knows everything. It's like living in a glass house. You can't hide a thing. God knows your struggles. He knows externally what is happening and what internally is happening. You can't hide it. But yet we have this delusion that we think we can. So here's a question. But what if we get it wrong? What if we're praying, and we're praying for all the wrong things, which is probably 90% of the time? This passage says this, that if we're praying, and it's not in line with the will of God, it says that the Holy Spirit takes those prayers and searches our heart and then translates them into what God wants for us. So even if we're trying our best, we're doing all the right things, and we're still off track, the Holy Spirit's guiding and directing us back. He's taking our prayers. He's going to God the Father. Actually, this is what they need. This is what needs to change. The the sin in their life that they're holding on to, that needs to go. And then it says, God is at work according to his will. And what Paul is saying, that the Holy Spirit, again, prays for us according to his will. God the Father knows exactly what we need. There is this perfect agreement between the Holy Spirit and God the Father. In other words, he will deliver us in the end. He will save us. He will cause the very best thing to happen, even if we keep getting off track. It's because we have the Spirit of God. He's at work. He's taking the mess. He's taking the bad decisions. He's taking the sin. 
He's working it out for good. He's helping us see that Christ is better. He's helping us see that God is dwelling with us, even in the suffering. And it's in the suffering where we may wake up. We may realize that we need to depend on God. We may realize that we actually need to change what we're doing. We may need to realize that this life is short, that our days are numbered. Oh, church, do we get it? And this beautiful verse that I love, verse 28, says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Oh. For those who are called according to his purposes. For those who love God. It's a key part. Are we loving him? Is he number one? <laughs> Have we given our life to him? For those that have, he's working all our mess out for good. And this is why we can increase in hope. It's because he's working it all out. That all things, all circumstances that we will experience, our pain, our suffering, our brokenness, he's working it out for good. He's untangling it. He already knows the beginning and the end. He's redeeming it. But the word good doesn't necessarily mean happy, carefree, easy, free of suffering. Nope. In the context of the verse, it's actually the exact opposite. Paul is suffering. He's being persecuted. Life is hard. And he's saying, God is working it all out for good. So how do we see what is good? How do we know what is good? You know, Holly was telling me about grade 11 biology. And the students have been swabbing things for bacteria to see if they would grow in Mr. Sturhan's class. And one of the things that they swabbed was a teacher's couch and our cat's mouth. And so here's a picture of the results as bacteria has grown. Can you guess which one's the couch and which one's the cat? <laughs> the couch is the left. But notice that when you're zoomed in, when you're looking through the microscope, that's all that you can see. It's that nasty bacteria growing. The mold. The sin. And when we only choose to look at sin with our narrow perspective, if that's the only thing that we're focused on, that's all that we are going to see. You won't see the beauty of God at work. 
You won't see God using broken people to do good. You won't see transformation. I think that's part of our problem, that we're so focused on everyone else's sin and all the bad things that are going on in the world that that's all we hear. That's all we know. That our intake is like, oh, the world's going to mess. Yeah, it could be true. But if that's the only thing that we're looking at, if that's the only voice that we're listening to, that's the narrative that we're living in. But when you zoom out, when you have a wider perspective, when you start looking for God at work, you're going to see good. You know, as a pastor, it's a privilege that I get this window into people's lives. The people have shared with me some really difficult, hard things. But people have also shared with me how God is working in their life and how he's turning these hard things into God things. Church, I wish I could get up here and just tell you everyone's story, but I can't. But God is working. God is working in this church. God is working in broken people. God is using all things for his glory and for his good. And Philippians 4, 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But here's the thing. Sometimes we need to give up the understanding part to receive the peace part. Realizing that we are not God. That our perspective is so narrow, it's so small, that we only get these little glimpses of what God is doing. We don't have the full picture. But he does. So maybe give up your understanding if you want his peace. Trying to understand why bad things happen to good people. Why me? Why am I stuck in sin again? Why this? Why that? So as we close, where do we go for help in a time of waiting? Where do you go? What do you do? Do you focus on your own understanding? Your own narrative? Are you focused on your own perspective? And Paul is telling us, man, we have more help than we know. That God is at work. That he's working all things out for good. So where do we find this help? I'm going to call the worship team up. It starts by giving our life to Christ. It's the first step. It's actually admitting that we're weak. It, it, admitting that we fall short. It's admitting that our perspective is narrow that we don't have the full picture, and God does. 
It's admitting that we need the Spirit of God to dwell in us. That we need God's presence to change us and transform us and guide us. And then living out our days, knowing that we're not alone. I just want to take a moment and do that. If you're here today and you're like, man, I need God. Pray with me. Close your eyes. Pray this. God, I admit that I am weak and sinful. But I believe that you came as a little baby and lived on this earth and died for my sins. God, I commit my life to you right now. And I invite the Holy Spirit to come into my life and change me and transform me. God, I ask for your help. Because I know that I can't help myself. And I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, that's that first step. Please talk to a staff member or myself after so we can continue to walk through you. But just before we go to communion, as we prepare, I want the Spirit to prepare our hearts as we enter in. So here's three questions that help us to prepare. The first question is, when do you find yourself depending on God? Is it when life is going well? Or is it when things are hard? When they're suffering? And today, do you need to ask God for help? What do you need to give up control of? What do you need to give to Him? What do you need to bring to the altar this morning? And lastly, ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and reveal the sin that you've been holding on to, the sin that you think you need. And let his light illuminate those dark corners of your life that need to go, that are holding you back, that are keeping you from being the light that God is calling you to be. take a moment to give you a minute just you and God and talk to him and then we're going to start communion God, as we come to your table, 
God, help us to come to you first for the help that we need. God, we repent of our sins. We turn from those things that keep us from knowing that you are with us, from knowing that Christ is better, from knowing that we have hope right now. Thank you that this is not a distant reality, that this is a present reality. Thank you that you are with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as we celebrate, Jesus came to dwell with us, that he gave his body. It means that Jesus dwelled, that he became one of us. It means that he took our place. He voluntarily gave himself. And this bread represents his body. So let me pray for the bread. God, thank you for giving yourself. Thank you that this bread says, God, you were with us, that you never left us or forsake us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. And in the same way, the cup represents the payment, the promise, but also the preparation. It's payment so that we can receive that help that we need every single day. It's payment so we can walk through the door of salvation and spend eternity with God. Let me pray for the cup. Jesus, thank you that you ran red, that you were willing to give yourself and pay the price for my sin for the sin of the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And it says in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Let's take it together. Let's stand and sing. Throne of endless glory to create a 
Shout. 
you need prayer this morning, we have some prayer teams. Please come. People would love to pray with you. And with these words. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And so go with God knowing that his presence is with you.